The first service I was involved in after I became a vicar of St. Mary's Maidenhead, that's the church I was at before I came to All Souls, was to take the funeral of a man in his 40s. Uh, Tim had uh, drowned while saving his severely autistic son, who had got into difficulty at sea whilst on a family holiday in Wales. My last act as Vicar St. Mary's was to take the funeral of a gorgeous, bubbly four-year-old girl called Sia, whose body had been ravaged by an aggressive sarcoma. Four years previously, I'd conducted uh, her baptism, and there was unbridled joy and beaming smiles everywhere at the funeral and Thanksgiving service. The, the smiles, well, they were brave, masking the pain and tears. So kind of two tragic, uh, horrific deaths bookended my ministry in Maidenhead. And of course, as a, uh, as a pastor, actually death uh, featured prominently in between. Yeah, I can remember in one 12-month period, my church warden died. Another good friend died in the most tragic of circumstances, and my sister died. And actually, in a sense, none of that is unusual. Uh, there are times, aren't there, when we just seem to be surrounded by death and people dying. I mean, we all experienced that as a, as, a, as a nation during the COVID crisis. There was no avoiding the reality of death then. As, no, as each day we would be given the, 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 day, the, the toll of the people who died that day. And for some of that, that wasn't just statistics. Yes, from this church, family members died. But because our secular Western society provides no answer to death and and no hope in the face of it, actually, generally, in Britain, we hide, we hide, try and hide death away in in, in nursing homes and uh, and hospitals. So I didn't actually see a dead body until I was in my late 20s and studying at theological college, we went to visit a funeral director. And I asked the funeral director, please can I see a, a, a corpse? Because I don't want to be the first one I see, first time I see one in a pastoral situation. Instead of talking about death directly, we use a whole host of other expressions. They passed away, they're deceased, they're no longer with us, they're in a better place. It does seem, doesn't it, that our society doesn't like to face up to the aging, dying process. I'm not surprised in one sense, because the process of aging and dying is grim. I mean, what is attractive about your body creaking and not working as it should? I mean, there's no fun in the kind of failing eyesight and loss of memory or arthritis or any of the other things that plague us as we get older. I'm so grateful that we live in a country with Good health care, but however good and advanced the treatments, no one ultimately beats death. And the doctors, however good and accomplished they are, they never win. <laughs> Rightly does the Bible, as our passage illustrates, describe death as an enemy. Death destroys loving relationships. Death actually makes life ultimately meaningless. You're born, you grow up, you live, you age, you die, and after a few decades, you're not even remembered. 
But wonderfully, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a Savior who defeated the power of death and who gives us hope in the face of death and therefore gives us our lives meaning and purpose. For the visitors amongst us, you, you find us in the middle of a sermon series in which we're looking at how the Old Testament points us forward to the New Testament and helps us make sense of Jesus, who he is, and, and the wonder of what he's done for us. And whereas last week we looked at scores of Old Testament references as we considered Paul's sermon to Pisidian, at Pisidian Antioch at the synagogue there, in Acts 13. This morning we're focusing on just one Old Testament allusion. And it's there in uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 22. Have a look at it with me. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But first let me give you the context of this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the most extensive and detailed explanation we have in the Bible about the resurrection from the dead. And the reason for this is because the Christian believers in Corinth were playing down the idea of bodily resurrection from the dead. You see, in Greek philosophy, the body was not at all important. What mattered was your mind, your soul. Uh, the Greeks believed in the immortality of the soul, but not of the body. In fact, the body was, a, was like a prison your soul needed to eventually escape from. So the teaching about Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead was not at all attractive. In fact, some of them went as far as saying that there was no resurrection from the dead. We see that in verse 12. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, the Corinthians had a very limited view of the salvation that Jesus came to bring. They had come to know Christ. They had been forgiven their, their sins. God had poured out his Holy Spirit on them. And when they died, well, their soul would be with the Lord. That was it. That was as far as their gospel went. And friends, it is my experience that many professing Christians today hold to a similarly sort of reduced, truncated gospel like that. So there is a vague belief that when we die, we go to be with God. But there is no conviction about being bodily raised from the dead and being clothed with a glorious new resurrection body. And yet, says Paul, to deny the bodily resurrection of the dead is to deny the gospel. And so Paul sets the record straight. And in verses 1 to 11, he stresses the historicity of Jesus' death and resurrection. Have a look at that with me. Verse 1. Of chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He couldn't be clearer, could he? I mean, Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And not only was he seen by the 12, uh, by the apostles, he was at one time seen by more than 500 believers on the same occasion. This is the only record we have of Jesus appearing to that crowd after his resurrection. But Paul can say to these Corinthian Christians, look, go check this out for yourself. Most of these folk are still living. Yeah, those some have died. And then in verses 12 to 19, Paul spells out a couple of implications if there is no resurrection of the dead. I mean, in other words, does it really matter? I mean, is it like not packing any sun cream when you go on holiday to Scotland? Irrelevant? Or is it like not packing your passport when you go to the United States? Essential. Well, says Paul, it's like the latter. I mean, if there is no resurrection from the dead, it would mean that he and other Christian preachers are dangerous liars because they have clearly been preaching that Christ rose from the dead. And it would also mean that the, their faith was futile, that, the, that, the, that the, well, there wasn't a gospel at all. Look, look at that in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. You see, as we saw last week, it was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that vindicated Jesus. If there is no resurrection, then there could be no confidence that Jesus was the Messiah and no confidence that our sins have been forgiven. Christ's resurrection from the dead is the public sign to the world that the cross worked and that it was sufficient and effective in dealing with our sin. When I was uh, at college, I once overheard a conversation between two friends, uh, one who was a Christian and the other who wasn't. And the Christian said in the course of the conversation, look, even if there was no heaven, it would still be worthwhile being a Christian. And I kind of can remember nodding in agreement. But actually, in verse 19, Paul says the exact opposite. And he's right, isn't he? If there is no resurrection, well, then we Christians are pitiful fools. We are simply escapists who have adopted a system of thought which serves no ultimate purpose than to manipulate us into behaving in certain ways. We have believed and followed a delusion. If there is no resurrection... Karl Marx is right. Christianity is the opium of the people. But, verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. There is resurrection. Christ's resurrection is an historical event attested to by eyewitnesses. And so there is a gospel and Paul describes uh, Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus is the first one who has kind of been through death 
and come out the other side. Like a trailblazer, he's shown the way which others will follow. And in verses 21 and 22, Paul explained how it works. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So according to Paul, there are, there are two human races, there are kind of two humanities at work to which we can belong. And the first he describes as in Adam. And in Adam, all die. That's the point he's making. In Adam, all die. Every human being who has ever lived is in Adam. He is our human ancestor. This is the human race into which all of us are born. Now, we didn't have the whole of Genesis chapter 3 read to us earlier, but if you remember the account, God created Adam and placed him in the Garden of Eden. And God was so generous, he told Adam, look, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But there is just this one prohibition. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But Adam and his wife Eve both ignored the word of God. They disregarded this one prohibition. They sought independence from God. They wanted to make up their own rules for life. I think that's what's behind this, you know, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's kind of the, the right to be able to decide what's good and evil, to decide what's right and wrong. They both, both ate of that tree. And because God does not lie and because his word is true, Adam was sentenced to death. And ever since, in solidarity with Adam, we have gone the same way. We too naturally seek independence from God. We too make up our own rules for life, and that is why we experience suffering and death. This is the lot of all those who are in Adam. Ultimately, that is why Tim and little Sia died. That is why all of us, unless Christ returns first, will die sooner or later. There's no avoiding it. We're all corrupted. We're all sinners. We are all in Adam. We will all die. But there is a second humanity to which some belong, and Paul calls this humanity in Christ. And in Christ, all will be made alive. So just as in, our, as in our solidarity with Adam we face death, so those who are in solidarity with Jesus Christ will be raised from the dead, just as certain. And then what Paul does in verses 23 to 28 is to explain the running order of this process. And there are three stages. 
Stage one is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Verse 23, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits. So Paul again uses uh, that expression of the firstfruits of, of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, this is, this is harvest imagery. That the first fruits were the first crop to be harvested with a knowledge, actually the certain knowledge that there is a, there's a lot more coming down the line. And so with Jesus' resurrection, actually the harvest has already started. Actually death has been defeated. There is one who has been through death and come out the other side to resurrection life. There is a man who has traveled that journey, never to die again. Meanwhile, all those who have died in Christ, who partake and share in the humanity of Jesus, well, they, death for them has become sleep. Just waiting to be roused by the Lord Jesus at his coming. So stage two, well, that takes place when Christ returns. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. And the word Paul uses there for comes was often uh, employed to describe the kind of the grand appearing or the emperor or some other kind of high dignitary. Well, when Jesus returns, he will come with all the glory of God. And that is when those who have died in the faith of the Lord Jesus will be awakened from the sleep of death and raised bodily from the dead to be clothed with a resurrection body. Stage three, but that's mentioned in verse 24. Then the end will come when he, that is Jesus, hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And friends, here is the the climax. Here is the, the, the climax of human history when Jesus has finally completed his saving work undoing the mess caused by Adam. A a mess which we've all uh, shared in. Here is the end of all authorities and powers that have set themselves up in opposition to God, including the kind of the final one, death. See, in a broken and fallen world, such as ours, which is under God's judgment, Death, well, that has become natural. But that was never God's original intention for us. God hates death just as we do. And on that day when Christ returns, death will finally be removed from God's universe. So, end of of verse 28, God may be all in all. And what a wonderful thought that is. There'll be no area of existence where God's glory and perfection does not reign supreme. It's lovely to be thinking about that. Everything that hurts and harms will be gone. And God's rescued people will bask in and will reflect the perfection of God. And this is the hope we can have. 
because Jesus died and rose from the dead. And so, I need to ask all of us here, are you in Christ? (laughs) Because we're all in Adam. (laughs) We we can't avoid that. We're all in Adam. We're all different senses, broken, corrupt sinners who will face the sentence of death. But we won't all be in Christ. You're only in Christ when you, you hear the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, about what he's done, and that you believe in him and you respond. You respond by trusting him with your life, yes, and also with your death. When you acknowledge that he is the one whom God has made king over the universe. Have you done that? Have you responded to Christ? You're not in Christ until you've done that. I want to finish by addressing two groups of people. First, those of us who are facing death. Now, in a, in a sense, we're all facing death. None of us, unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns first, will cheat death. But for some of us, either because we are old, or because we have a serious illness, or because we're looking after somebody who's old or sick, actually, the prospect of death is just much more in our face. Well, if you're a Christian, you can face death with confidence and hope, because you have something solid and real to look forward to, beyond death. So many people who are in the kind of last lap of their lives live with little hope. They get kind of more and more frustrated the frailer they get. But the the Christian facing death can be actively positive. Both my parents have died. Uh, In their final years, they both suffered from Significant ill health, which was frustrating and a, and a great trial to them. They had both been so active and now they, they couldn't do what they had once did. But actually, I have such fond memories of their final years. Because although the frustrations were real, so was the hope. They were both uh, Christian believers. And uh, whenever I visited, we would always remind each other of our resurrection hope and how the best is yet to come. And actually, as a result, those final years were marked with actually substantial joy. Suddenly, when my church warden was gravely ill, we used to talk together that whatever happened... It was win-win. <laughs> it was win-win. Couldn't lose. If he recovered, well, that would be tremendous. That's what we all were praying for in one team because then he would be restored to us. He'd have more opportunities to serve. But if he didn't get better and he died, which is what happened, and that's not the end. He would sleep with God and Jesus and he would wake up when Christ returns. And when he'll be, when Christ would clothe him with his new resurrection body. 
great to good going through life and facing death, knowing it's, it's win-win. But then second to those of us who are not facing death but life. Now, that is many of us, and particularly those of us who are young, and those who are still at school, who have just uh, started out in jobs. The question is, are you living your life in the light of the resurrection of the dead? There used to be a rather derogatory uh, expression about spiritual people, which went like this. He or she is too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. But actually, Paul would take great issue uh, with that. He says, actually, it is the other way round. It is those who are heavenly minded. It is those who have had their hope fixed on the future resurrection who are working self-sacrificially for God now. In contrast, the Corinthian Christians, whose focus was on the life they already had, well, they were self-indulgent. From what we discover elsewhere in the letter, that slogan, if you look at the, the, the bottom of page, um, or, or, uh, sorry, end of verse 32, the bottom of page 1156, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, was actually quite a good description of their lifestyle and priorities. There didn't seem much to distinguish them from the rest of Corinthian society. And so Paul has to say to them in verse 30, Paul, to come to their senses. Stop sinning, he says, and start living in the light of your future resurrection. See, if we do not have our focus on our resurrection life in the new creation, well, we will find ourselves like the Corinthians, little different from the world around us. Our cars, our houses, our jobs, our clothes, our friend, our reputation, our popularity will have more of an influence on us than they should. We'll find it actually hard to make sacrifices. And actually people will not think we have anything really significant to say. And I just wonder whether this is a problem in the, the church in the West. We've actually lost our heavenly focus. Not that we don't believe it, but we're not talking about it. We're not making that that is our ambition, our goal, knowing that that is the goal of life. That's what God has got to save us for. Not this, for that. That is what we should be investing in. That's what we should be thinking about and talking about. We stop seeing in the light things in the light of Christ's return and the resurrection of the dead. And I think we need to hear God's appeal through the Apostle Paul. Come to your senses. Get your perspective on life right. The funerals of uh, Tim and Little Sia were hard, sad occasions. There were, there were heart-wrenching moments. But what my abiding memory of them, they were full of praise. Yes, we, we praise those who died, 
But the greater praise went to Jesus. See, even in tragic, untimely deaths, like Tim and Sears, Jesus provides us with certain hope and real comfort. For as in Adam all die. Yes, that is the reality. We need to face up to that reality. For as in Adam all die. Yes. But so in Christ will all be made alive. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you and praise you for the living hope that you've given us through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into a future that can never be taken away from us. Thank you uh, for this glorious hope, for this certainty that in Christ all will be made alive. And we ask that you would uh, help us by your Spirit to live constantly in the light of that great future event uh, so that we may be those who actually hang, are happy to hang loose to the things of this world, knowing that what is most substantial is what lies uh, in the future with our resurrection bodies. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.